0: Today we're going to be covering body number 16 and as we've seen with the previous verses, we had a series of four verses in sonia and four verses in Manne. and in the same way the next 4 verses are also linked together so we've had 4 already Suniye, 4 already manne and now the next 4 verses are also linked together and they all end with the same line we know that they're linked because they end with the same line to <laughs> the So if we refresh our memory, what we've covered so far, the Sunniya Pori was all about people who had gone into a deep state of listening, a state of awareness within themselves, and talked about those people that had really taken on the message of the Guru. The next four verses were all about the people who had listened and followed that instruction, that had accepted the Guru's wisdom as the ultimate wisdom. And that starts by saying Manne Kigat jaye." We cannot even begin to describe what level these people are at. Who have fully accepted and known that truth of the Guru within themselves. The last verse of the Manne Shabads begin with the line Manne Mok Duar. So it describes that these people have found liberation. So the next four parties or the, certainly the next body coming up after this, we can confer, the next four bodies, we can infer that it is also talking about these people who have gone through that process of Suniye, gone through that process of Mane, and now what we're discussing is those people who are Mane, Paave, Mok, dua, who have found that liberation. The ones who have mastered Suniye, And mastered the experience of Mane. And the Shabbat begins Panch Parvan Panch Pardhan. The word Panch is a plural word. We know that because it doesn't have an Ankhra at the end. So it's a plural word. And so in this context it's referring to those people who have done that sunya who've done that mane they're now given the title of punch and punch is a saintly person a sadhu person a sage a holy person a punch and it is the ones who have listened the ones who have accepted who have understood and who are now living this as their lifestyle this is who they are They have now transcended themselves. They've gone beyond themselves. They're the ones who are always connected. Always connected with that ik. Remember that whatever we talk about always has to go back to the ik, onkar. They've elevated themselves from their individual identity to this universal identity. When we talk about the analogy of the torch, and the torch that's shining all around, looking at different things, this is the torch that is aware of its own light. Not focusing on what it's shining on, not constantly interested in things outside of it, but aware of its own light, its own brilliance. So this is the torch that knows that it is light. And it knows that the light is not something individual to it. It is part of this bigger light. It understands that it is alive because there is this greater aliveness of the universe. Its aliveness isn't individual. It is Paramatma. So, these are the people that we're talking about. Panch Parvan. So, we can call these people the conscious ones, the awakened ones. Parvan means they're approved. Panch Parvan, Panch Pardhan. Pardhan means they are masters, they are leaders, they are authorities. So, we can say that these awakened ones. Are approved and they are the authorities. They are approved because the purpose of their life has been achieved. The reason they were born, they've realized that. And they are authorities because we look to them as a guide for mankind. We look to them as a shining example of how to live. They hold the highest position amongst mankind. They are authorities because they've mastered themselves and they've mastered their minds. So these are the state of the people that we're talking about. Panch Parvan, Panch pardhan. Panche Pavhe Darghe Maan. So, these awakened conscious beings obtain dargah man. Man means honor, respect. Where do they obtain respect? In the darga, in the divine royal court. So, they're not now amongst the ordinary. They are experiencing a different experience of life. They're not sitting amongst you and me. They're sitting in the court of the divine. They are present in the presence of the one. They're there sitting with it. They're the invited special guests sitting in the darbar of the one. While alive, while talking, while eating, while sleeping, they're not here. They are in the presence of the oneness. So their whole conversation, their whole way of working with people, dealing with people, is as though they're dealing with that oneness. And this idea about darge paveman, we've covered, and we've seen similar things being stated by Guru Nanak Dev Ji before. That this honor isn't from people; this honor is from the divine honor. In Pauri five, we heard about jin sevia ten paya the ones who are constantly serving this this way of living. They obtain honor. We talked about manne patsion pargatjay. With honor they are exalted. This is how they leave the world. This is how they've completed their journey. Body number 14, we covered that. And this analogy of sitting in a royal court is continued in the next line. Panche sohe dar rajan. So, these conscious, awakened people are sohe, soane lagdeya, they are beautiful. In the dar, again, in the court, in the darbar of Rajan. Now, when you look at your translations, a lot of translations will say they are beautiful amongst all the kings, they are the most beautiful. But one thing to note in the spelling of Rajan, there's an ankhra underneath it. Which means the word Rajan is singular, one king. So they're not sitting in the court of ordinary kings. They are beautiful in the presence of the royal king, the ultimate king, the king of kings. So we must be careful when we look at the spelling. Panche Sohe Dar Rajan. In the royal presence of that one king of kings. And we hear Shabbats like this Rajan Raj Paanan Paan Devan Dev Upma Mahan. The King of Kings. That's what we're talking about here. Rajan ke Raja, Maharajan ke Maharaja. Raj Chod Duja kaun This is the King of Kings. The greatest kings of the greatest kings. If we were to abandon this King, where else would we go? So these people are sitting in the presence of this divine king. And they are radiant, they're glowing. There's another way to translate this line as well, and this is where Gurbani becomes quite interesting. The same spelling can have multiple meanings. You can also translate this line to be that they are beautiful like a king sitting in his court. That these, which people may look completely ordinary to you and me on the outside, but because they're not having an ordinary experience, they are having a completely extraordinary life experience, they carry themselves with this grace, with this beauty, almost as though they are their own king sitting in their royal darbar. And that translation also works with this spelling. They are beautiful like a king sitting in their darbar. Constantly observing the world, looking upon the world, observing their own mind, observing all their thoughts, but never attached to them, completely detached. See, a king has so much wealth that more money coming in, people coming, bowing to him, offering him, making offerings, he's almost detached from it all. His wealth is so much that he doesn't even know what to do with it. So he's almost. Become detached from his wealth. Wealth now no longer has the same meaning as it does for somebody working hard and earning for every last penny. And in the same way, the punch, the completely egoless, completely detached from the world, they treat all of life, all the wealth of life, with this detachment. Because it's no longer theirs, it's no longer something for them to attach onto. And this is what gives them their radiance, their glow. It's very hard to say whether Guru Nanak Dev Ji has limited it to one meaning or whether actually the very fact that this is poetic language means that actually Guru Nanak Dev Ji is speaking on, on multiple levels. So, in one level, it could be meaning this, but actually, it could be meaning something completely different. So, this is something that we find is that even when you read Hukam Namas, where you are, defines how you take that hukam namma. And the same hukam namma you can read some months later, a year later, and it will have a different meaning. So there's something beautiful about this philosophy that it almost has this ability to speak to different people at different levels. To the most simple, basic understanding, it makes sense. And to people who like to really go into the depth of it, it also makes sense at different levels. So there's one way of translating this whole thing, which is what we've just covered around punch being the people. But interestingly, and something that's almost never covered in any of the standard translations, is that punch has a completely different meaning as well and doesn't actually refer to the holy people, the saintly people. And so I'd like to go through that as well. These lines that we've just covered Actually, have a completely different meaning if you just change the meaning of the word punch. So, the word punch in Gurbani has also been used to represent the number five. And the five has multiple meanings. Just one word, punch, with exactly the same spelling, has been used to represent the five thieves. We talk about punch chor. So we talk about panch here, but it's interchangeable with the word panch in certain places in Gurbani. Panch chor, five thieves. Panch indriya, five senses. Five virtues. There are also five good qualities that a person must try and obtain in their life. Five elements. The body is made up of five elements. And panch shabad as well, five celestial sounds and some people translate panch shabad to be five different types of instruments different ways of creating music has been broken down in indian music as five different types five different categories of music so the word panch in gurbani has been used to represent several different things so we need to look at the whole shabad to try and work out what we think the meaning is there's a really beautiful shabad by guru arjan dev ji that really highlights this point in Rag asa guru arjan dev ji fifth guru has this shabad that says panch manaye panch rusaye panch vasaye panch gavai. and here guru ji is using the word five and each time he uses the word five he means something else So Guruji here is saying, Panch manai. I have gone and reconciled with the five good virtues. And we'll go on to what those five virtues are. I've reconciled, I've made, made friends with those five good virtues, and I've angered the five bad virtues. They've become displeased with me. Panch manai, Panch rusai. Rusge. Yeah, They're displeased with me. They're saddened and angry with me. Because I've become friends with the five good virtues. The five bad virtues are against me now. Panch vasaye. And I've put those five, they've settled now within me. And I've abandoned other five. Yeah? So Guruji is using the word Panch here, but you have to understand that there's so many different meanings here. Inhe bid nagar vutta mere bhai. This is what has happened in my town, in my sarir, in my body. These things have now come and inhabited my body, like I'm a village. And these five have now come to live in this village. <speaking> in <foreign language> that evil has now gone and the Guru's wisdom has now come in. So Guruji has used this example here and very poetically just used the number 5 five have i've befriended five i've disappointed five have come within me and i've lost five that's all he's saying we have to understand what this five is talking about Now using this example let's look at this punch parvan again if we take punch to mean the number 5 we can have a completely different meaning of this Shabbat. Panch Parvan, Panch pardhan. We can say Panch Parvan, five are approved. Five elements are approved. To start the human body, you need five elements. This is earth, fire, wind, water and space five different elements needed to create the human body. The human body is said is to be made up of these five elements. These have become approved and panch pardhan, five have become manifest. They've become the leaders. Which five? The five senses. So five elements have been approved to create a body of five senses, panch pardhan. panche pavhe maan. But everybody has the five elements, everybody has the five senses. That doesn't give you honor. Just being alive doesn't give you honor. How do you find Darge Man? When you've used your five elements and your five senses and you've brought in five virtues into your life. The five virtues in your life are Sat, Santok, Daya, Taram, and Teerj. Truthful living contentment compassion righteous dharmic living that divine living and patience some people disagree what these five qualities are some people say courage nimrata preem. all of these are interchangeable to say that actually when you bring these five good qualities within you then you've elevated yourself then you're no longer a body just of five senses and five elements your five good qualities you've brought within you then if you bring those five in then you get panche darge man then you get honor because you've gone from an ordinary person to an, into a very virtuous person panche sohe dar rajan there's one thing to obtain honor there's another to be called into the presence of the divine when you have these five qualities within you then these lead to the Panch Shabad. Panch Shabad is another word for your Dasam Dwar opening. Yeah? We hear it in Anand Sahib. Panch Shabad Dithkar Sapage. Yeah? That, that means that you've had your five elements, you've now elevated your life and you live such a virtuous life that your Dasam Dwar opens. Then you are in the presence of the Divine. Your consciousness is completely opened. Now you're in the presence of the divine. Panche pavhe maan, panche sohe So we can take the same Shabad and have a completely different meaning. Either way, you can end with the line that says pancha ka gur ek In order to have all of these things, in order to have all of these things, you need to have the guidance of the Guru and tean on the oneness. Pancha ka gur ek Tian. Meditation on the oneness is their Guru. The people who have obtained the five qualities, that translation works. And the, the first translation we talked about, the Panch, those who are highly elevated through mankind. They still need a guru and they still need meditation on the one. So we can see how interesting Gurbani gets when you just look at one Shabad in a different way. And actually, this idea of five permeates a lot of different elements of even our everyday Sikhi. We have panch pyare what are the panch pyare Again, the five good qualities come in. By Daya Singh Ji, compassion. By Taram Singh Ji, righteous living. By Himmat Singh Ji, strength. By Mokam Singh Ji, determination. By Sahib singji Ji, mastery, leadership. We have panch kakar. Guru gave us panch kakar. Guruji gave us in our morning mitnem baniya, panch baniya. So you can see that actually this idea of five actually speaks to us on so many different levels. If you've ever wondered, why five? Why panchakar, Why paanj Why panch baniya? Maybe there's a link because we have a body made of five senses. We have five elements. We have five good qualities that we have to take on. We have five bad qualities that we have to get rid of and when we do all of that we can experience an experience that is called the experience of the five sounds panch shabad which is this idea of this dasandwar so we can see actually this panch really permeates so many different levels so the panch baniya the panch kar the panch pyare this idea of five that we live with could be related to all of the different levels of five that we've talked about so far. Then Guruji says, because this is so deep a concept, kahe kare vichar, karte ke karne nahi sumar. If one tries to have a conversation about this, if one tries to think too deeply about this, if one tries to discuss this, what it's like to be in this state, what is the experience of that person who is in that punch state? Karte ke karne nahi sumar. Why is it karte ke karne? Why not panch ke karne? Why are we now talking about the karta and not these individuals? Because these individuals are no longer individuals. They're merged. They're lost their individuality. They're back in the ocean. There is now no difference between them and the oneness itself. We talk about Ramjnani Parmeshwar. These people are the same as Parmeshwar. Har jan aisa chahiye, jaisa Hi So these people are one with the oneness. They are no longer themselves. So when you're describing them, you're describing the oneness. When you describe them, you realize that you're not describing them. You're actually describing the whole of creation. And then you realize that their description cannot be done. Because the, the actions of the oneness, the actions of the creative being, nahi sumar. Sumar means limit or like to do an account, to try and quantify. Cannot be done. Karte ke karne nahi sumar. Cannot be done. There is no end to the limit of this description. The workings of the doer never come to an end. You cannot describe it. So these bunch are no longer there. They are living, breathing, walking, talking versions of that oneness. They are the divine manifest on earth. They themselves cannot describe their experience. Even they can't explain it. Even they can't put it to words. They're just at one with the universe. They understand the universe, but they cannot speak about it. So Guruji here is now making this point very clear, and he's done that again and again and again, saying this description cannot be described. And time and time again in Japji Sahib, we've heard this analogy that if anyone tries to describe it, they will ...realize that they are losing this battle. You can't write it down on paper. Anybody who sits down, You just have to know what this experience is. You just have to know You just have to know what this experience is. You can't read about it in any books. The Guru is a guide. The Guru is all the wisdom you need to transform yourself. But the transformation has to happen within you. You have to become this. You cannot read about it anywhere and that includes Guru Granth Sahib Ji. Guru Granth Sahib Ji, if it remains an external textbook for you, then... It will never give you that wisdom. This wisdom is something where you practice Guru Granth Sahib Ji, where you live it, where you're breathing it, where you're talking about it, where you're eating it, where you're sleeping it. At every moment you have to live this. Then the Guru goes from being an external text to an internal wisdom. This is Antar Gyan. So, we have to understand that we must become this. We talked about before, becoming the highest version of yourself, the highest being that you can be. If you can imagine for a moment, what are you like in your highest state, in your highest self, just within yourself? What is the best version of me? What is the most Elevated, what is me going to be like as the enlightened me? Be that person. Because that person is in you right now. And it doesn't require you to do anything special. You just have to become the highest form of what you are. And the highest form of what you are is already there. You almost don't have to become that person. You just have to be that person you are already holding that divine version of yourself within you. There is no barrier. When we talked about, right at the beginning in the Mool Mantra, when we talked about Seepang, self-sustaining, needing nothing, external, this is what we mean. You can be this. So Guruji is saying that this is something that you have to experience within yourself. It cannot be described. But Guruji was also talking to people who were trying to describe the universe. And if you go through the history of the ancient Vedic texts, Purans and all of these old grants, there they've tried to put detailed descriptions to try and understand the universe, to try and explain this is what the universe is like. They went away to meditate on themselves. They came back with attempts to try and describe what the universe is like. And Guruji here now shows some of the theories that they've come up with. One of the theories is about the actual workings of the universe. What is the earth? What is it made up of? Where is this earth? We can see the sun, we can see the moon, but what's holding all these things up? One of the concepts that is prevalent at the time is this idea that the earth is being supported by a bull. There's a bull that is holding the entire planet on one of his horns. And when he gets tired, He transfers that planet from one horn to the other horn. And when you see that transfer from one horn to the other, that's where earthquakes come from. That's why the earth sometimes moves. That's why it's rattling, because the horn's getting tired. The bull is transferring. So they're trying to find a way to describe the earth, describe the workings of the universe. But Guruji uses this analogy. And rather than criticizing the analogy, Guruji just raises questions about it say, okay, let me ask you some questions. Let me get some clarity on this concept. So, we started talking about the people who are connected to the universe, but Guruji says that these people, even they themselves can't describe it. Who are you trying to describe the universe? Why are you trying to describe the universe when the most enlightened beings are not able to describe the universe? So he's now challenging these common Beliefs about what is the universe made of. Guruji goes on to say, tal taram daya kaput. So, this idea of this mythical bull is tall. Yeah, this bull. Guruji says, yes, there is a bull holding up the earth. But it's not the type of bull that you're thinking up. The natural way of the universe, taram, is what is holding the universe up. This natural law, we can call it hukam, that which is, the way things are, that is what is keeping the universe going. So Guruji says that if you believe in a bull, make taram the bull that is holding the universe, as in the will of the one, that divine will that just makes things happen all the time. That taram is what's holding the earth up. And that taram has come from somewhere. That natural system has come out of something. It isn't just... Now, let's look at the West. Scientific theory is that the universe is random. Scientists believe that the universe is completely random and is just happening unconscious. The whole universe is unconscious. It's just happening. There's no great being, there's no scientific proof of any oneness or any divine being. So it's just dull, almost like the universe is dead. And it's just a random series of events happening. Some meteors are colliding with others, they become a planet, some star is destroyed, it explodes, that creates some more planets. The East has always said, yes, all of these things are happening, but there's something alive and the whole universe is alive, it's not dead. It's quite a different concept to what the Christians and the Abrahamic traditions believe, which is about there is a God and he is an architect. Like there's somebody actually choosing, I'm gonna make an earth, and I'm gonna put some people in there, and I'm gonna make Mars, and I'm gonna make another solar system here, and I'm gonna paint this one red and this one blue. Like somebody's actually sitting there making all these decisions. That's not the Eastern system. The Eastern idea is that the universe is in tandem with science. Science and taram are not at odds with each other. Science and the Abrahamic religions are completely at odds with each other. The Abrahamic traditions will tell you the world is only 6,000 years old. You show them a fossil that's several millions of years old of a dinosaur, they say, God put it there to test my faith. So they're battling with their textbooks that are talking about the earth being 6,000 years old and scientific theory and experiments that are proving, actually we can carbon date these trees are like 20,000 years old. How can the earth be 6,000 years old? So they're at complete odds with with each other. They don't know how to reconcile the two. The Eastern traditions have said, of course everything is scientific. It makes sense. Everything has a law. There's speed of gravity, speed of light, speed of sound. It all makes sense. But it's all alive. That's all we're saying. It's alive. It's not dead. It's conscious. Just as conscious as you are, where did your consciousness come from? If the universe is unconscious, where did your consciousness come from? That's the Eastern idea. And this consciousness is not just dead. It's like a loving consciousness. There's an emotion behind it. Love is the power that is pervading throughout the universe. It's a loving feeling. It's not a hatred fe- feeling. It's not an angry feeling. It's just Sacha Sahib Pakya Pao Apar. There is this one true master. It's permanent. His system is permanent. The system of Taram, of natural law, is permanent. But it's in a loving way. There is a love, and the whole point of that is we can connect with that love. Love is an emotion that we have access to. So, this Taram also comes from this loving Daya. It comes out of Daya. The whole universe is speaking and creating out of compassion. So, Taal dea Daya Kaput. So, the natural order of the system which we call Taram, has a mother, which is compassion. Taram daya kaput. Santok thaap rakhya jen taram daya Santok thaap rakhya But as well as a mother, there's also a father as well as compassion there is also contentment santokh santokh is contentment tap means this is what binds the whole universe together Thaprakya, this jin sūth sūth is from the word sūtar which is the system the rules the maryada this is like a thread that is completely interwoven into the fabric of the universe. So, taram is the blanket of the universe and it is sewn with two threads, with compassion and contentment. Now, that sounds great, but what does it mean for us? Yeah? It always has to make sense to us, otherwise we're talking about the whole universe being loving and all that. Okay, fine, what do I do with that? If this is the description Guru Nanak Dev Ji is giving of the universe, then part of that universe means it's a description of you. At the very root of you is compassion. At the very root of you is contentment. And we've covered these concepts before. When we talked about the mind and the stages of the mind, we had a deep conversation around The the layers of the mind, intelligence, memories, awareness, self-identity, we talked about these layers of the mind. And we talked about issues, suffering also exists in the mind. Suffering isn't at the core of who you are. At the core of who you are is contentment. Hatred is also not inside you. Hatred is in the mind. At the very root of who you are is compassion, friendliness, lovingness, and we can see this in babies. Babies whose minds haven't been developed, they are just content. Yes, they need to be fed. Yes, they need milk. Yes, they need food. Yes, they need to be changed. Yes, they need sleep. They can get very cranky at times. But at times when they have all those needs fulfilled, you'll notice they're ecstatic. They're just looking around and they're so happy. The smallest things makes them completely in just elated, delighted. And how much hatred does a baby have? It doesn't know how to hate because it doesn't have a mind to hate. It doesn't know how to hate because it doesn't have a past yet. You can only hate something that's happened to you in the past. They don't have a past. They're in the present moment. They don't have any fears either because they don't live in the future. They live in the present moment. And this is the core of what you are. Everything else that you think you are has come later on. And this is when you start building this nice little fortress around you. My name, my identity, my family, my likes, my dislikes. And very soon, before you know it, identity, ego has been created. And that superficial layer is where all these things exist. Guru Nanak David is saying at the root of who you are is daya and Santok. Compassion and contentment. And just as your body has certain things that it needs, it needs food, it needs shelter, it needs sustenance. In the same way, your physical body has needs in the same way, your spiritual body, which we talk about suksham sarir, your subtle body, your deeper subconscious, your atma, whatever you want to call it, that also has sustenance that it needs. And that sustenance is these five good qualities. Taram is what it needs. This is what you were born to do. You were born to realize this taram, this natural way of the world. But you can't have taram without daya. There is no religious way of living that doesn't have compassion. Compassion is religion. Compassion is spirituality. And contentment is religion. If you are religious without compassion, then you are not religious. You might look religious on the outside, but within the inside, there is no religion inside you. There is no taram inside you. There is no spirituality inside you. So you have these two things inside you, yeah? You have daya, compassion, and santok, contentment. How do these manifest? How does compassion manifest? If you are compassionate towards others, Everything you do becomes a seva, service for others. So your inner compassion is manifest outside as seva. Living in a way that your whole life is seva, that is how you manifest your compassion, your there. And how do you manifest your tranquility, your contentment? One is external, which is seva to the outside world. How do you do seva within yourself? That santok within yourself is manifest as simran. Seva for the outside world, simran for the inside world. Compassion, contentment. And this is why people say the pillars of Sikhi are Seva and Simran because the very root of who you are is also Seva and Simran. Daya Sadduk. Seva and Simran is Taram. That is how you live a religious tarmic life. Service for others and meditation within yourself. Service for yourself. And you notice in the Gurdwara we also have this system. You get two things from the Gurdwara. You get Pangat and you get Sangat. Pangat is your opportunity to serve. Sangat is your opportunity to meditate. So even in the Gurdwara it's made up of these two things. Seva, Simran, Sangat, Pangat. And the Panch that we were talking about, this is where they are. This is the place where they are. Where they're just merged in Seva and Simran. In Deya. In Santok all the time. This is their way of life. They are constantly serving, all the while being content within themselves. Contentment internally and compassion externally see these as two wings that you need to fly to elevate yourself to taram you need two wings internal tranquility external seva humility so this is how you are and this is the root of the whole universe tol taram daya This is the stability, this is what holds the universe up, not a mythical bull. And one who understands this will obtain that ultimate truth, that ultimate stable permanent truth. If you understand this, you will get that ultimate truth. See, Guru Nanak Dev Ji is really simplifying the whole of the mystery of taram down to these simple things. If one understands this, jeko Bujhe, Bujhe bujna means to understand, Hovay Satyar. They will get that truth that they are looking for. That you need taram in your life, taram is made up of daya and santok. Now. This sachyar that we're talking about, such, we're not talking about honest living here. We're not talking about a life that's just devoid of lies and cheating. That's not such. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about knowing the truth and living by that truth. Understanding the permanent nature of the universe and living by it. Changing your way of living and connecting your identity with that identity. Remember, in the very first body, Guruji helped us by posing this question how do we come Satchiyar? How do we get this? Give Satchiyara ho We learned right at the beginning. Give tu tutte pal hukam razai chalana. So, hukam, living in the natural system, the way everything is, be in that. Now, Guruji is explaining this is what these things are. Yeah? Hukam. This is Taram, this is the way it is. So, if this is the system, let us address this idea of this bull. Let's really nail this idea down, Guruji is saying. Let's just analyze this idea for a moment. Let's say for a moment that the earth is held by a bull. The earth that we're walking on. Is being held up by a bull. Guruji asks this question how can this one bull hold this entire weight of the whole planet? See, Guru Nanak Devji isn't insulting these people. Guru Nanak Ji could actually go into a lot more detail about how the universe works because Guruji is connected to the whole thing. And Guruji's also said that it's possible to do this, to describe the whole universe, to explain, to understand the whole universe. Guruji's already told us this is possible. Let's look at some of the verses we've covered so far. Sonya tarat taval akas, taval thal comes up there. By going into that listening, you will understand the world, the mythical bull, you'll understand, and the sky, you'll understand it. Sunya Deep lo Patal, you'll understand the worlds, the higher worlds and the lower worlds. You'll understand all of it. Manne Sagal Pavan Sud, the people who have understood and accepted, they have the true understanding of all of the worlds. Manne Sagal Sud. So Guruji has already said people at this level are able to understand the universe. But the ones who are trying to describe the universe, he's not going into that. He's simply just throwing their theory back at them and saying, well, let's actually, it's this rational, logical thinking, critical thinking. Guruji is using rational argument and saying, okay, let's think about this idea. How much weight can this one bull carry? How can a bull carry the whole earth? Tarti hor pare hor hor. Now Guruji is really challenging them. Okay, there's a bull who's carrying the whole earth. What's he standing on? Tarti hor. There must be another ground that that bull is standing on. And then, if he's standing on a ground, who is supporting that ground? Guruji is really throwing this question back at them. And they might actually come back and say, yes, the bull is supported by a ground, but the ground that he's standing on is supported by another bull. Guruji will say, Tarti hor, pare hor hor. And then that second bull must be standing on a ground. Who is supporting that one? (laughs) If it's another bull, then he is standing on something. You see, it becomes an infinite loop. Guruji is saying, Tarti hor, there must be at least one more ground and beyond it, there must be another one and another one. The word hor here is singular. It's not plural. It's got an So, he's saying there's at least one more. Tarti hor. And beyond it, there's another one and then another one. Tarti hor. Pare, beyond, hor hor. Another and another. Tiste par te And if you keep going with this argument, what about the very last bull? Who's holding that one up? underneath that weight, what is the force that's holding that one up? If they concede that actually ultimately Paramatma is holding up the whole thing, that this divine oneness is holding the whole thing, Guru Nanak is saying, yes, you're right, but he isn't holding just that last bull, he's holding everything. That divine oneness is holding the whole universe up, it doesn't need a bull. So Guruji is really getting people to start to think that if you understand that ultimately there has to be something greater than just some mythical bull. There has to be this greater force. And what about our planet is being held by a bull? What about other planets? What about all the stars and the suns and the moons? Who's holding all of them up? Yeah? And if you understand that actually the the power of the universe is holding them up, then you have to understand that that's what's holding everything up.